1: Hello, this is Kevin Lindsay, co-host of the New Books and Systems and Cybernetics podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today, I'm here with Ray Ison and Ed Straw to talk to them about their 2020 book, The Hidden Power of Systems Thinking, Governance in a Climate Emergency. I want to tell you a little bit about these fellows before we jump into it and get them talking. First, Ray Ison, who's actually no stranger to the New Books Network. Um, as he was recently interviewed by my co-host Tom Schult on his book, Systems Practice, How to Act. Um, Ray is a professor of systems at the UK Open University in the Applied Systems Thinking in Practice group. Ray has held a number of leadership posts within the international systems and cybernetics community and has been widely recognized for his research in systems praxeology, institutional innovation and systemic governance. So welcome back, Ray.
0: Thank you, Kevin. Great to be here.
1: And Ed Straw is a visiting fellow at Open University's Applied Systems Thinking in Practice group and comes from an extensive consulting background. Ed is seeing government from every angle as, as citizen and consumer and advisor to several government ministers, as well as, and this is one I was really curious about, Ed, as having worked as a modernizer for the UK Labour Party. We need modernizers. You need to, you know, come on over here and, uh, and, and do some of that modernizing in, in, in the country where I'm currently sitting and also one south of the border. Yeah. So, special welcome to you, Ed, um, to the New Books Network. Thank you very much. Yeah, I look forward to more modernizing. Great. So I alluded to um, our geography a little bit. Um, so it was a little bit of time zone acrobatics to get us all here on the, the phone here together, or ra- rather this uh, podcast uh, platform. Um, Ray is joining us from Australia, Ed from Wales, and I am sitting here in um, uh, the lovely land of Vancouver Island on the west coast of Canada, I normally am in uh, Silicon Valley, where I work for Adobe. I've been in the tech industry for a a long time. I was just uh, chatting about that with you guys a few minutes ago. Um, But I think it's an amazing feat of the technology that we can be here um, tonight, this afternoon, this morning, uh, whatever the case may be. So again, thanks very much for joining us, guys. And I'd I'd like to start um, with uh, the, the traditional question I know you spent some time with us a little bit before Ray, um, but I had some time to take a, a look at um, you know some of your background you provide in in the book, and um, you bring an interesting background. You you've you you started off you know as a farmer as as, as someone who was uh, you know studying agriculture uh, because of you know inf- family influence on on farming, and I wonder if that kind of uh, you know, sparked your initial interest in in systems and, and cybernetics. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and your interest in how you got into this um, this area?
0: Uh, thanks, Kevin. It's always a nice invitation to reflect on uh, those um, moments uh, which lead you to do what you did. Uh, I grew up in the central west of New South Wales in a place called uh, Bathurst, uh, Australia, Um descended from a long line of uh, immigrants to uh, to Australia and uh, with strong connections to farming and farming communities. And I guess the thing that I take from that background is um, both a um, an openness to the landscape around uh, and having to interpret what is happening uh, and being, I guess, uh, from an early age, being predisposed to asking lots of why questions. I think it's probably one of the things that Ed and I discovered we had in common, that we were perhaps um, as children uh, people that our parents got sick of because we asked why far too often. Uh, But um, the the why questions that relate to agriculture are in many ways the why questions that relate to our circumstances as human beings at the uh, moment. It's essentially about our relationship as a species with the biophysical world and how we can uh, manage that relationship to be both uh, productive, uh, responsible, uh, sustainable uh, and not overly exploitative. And so that's always been a struggle for Homo sapiens. And at the moment, uh, we are not doing it particularly well.
1: Thank you for that, and and Ed, how about you? Um, tell tell us a little bit about your background and uh, and what drew you to um, the area of systems and cybernetics. Well, the
2: background, I guess, uh, it was was such that I mean, I I went to a school, particularly that uh, was very traditional British boarding school, and uh, that cemented me in my. Uh, Anti authoritarian state. Uh, As I said, the book, there's nothing new about radicalization. It just depends how you get radicalized. Um, And uh, it it was, over the years, it's been something I've always regarded authority as something that's earned. It's not sort of taken or acquired. But uh, as I really coming into the systems thing, I mean, it's always been around. I was taught by Stafford Beer, who's one of the great. Uh, systems gurus of Manchester Business School, um, proceeded through my career. But it was really when I got into government where I was, first of all, you know, doing consulting and working in local government, um, into central government, getting higher and higher up the rung. Then I'm dealing with ministers, even prime ministers, leading officials and so on. People are asking me you know, policy ideas and so on. And after a while, I realized that actually an awful lot of what was being talked at these august tables was just never getting translated into action. And it was Mm at that point that I realized that the problems of government, I mean, to an extent, yeah, there are politics, but fundamentally about the system of governing, uh, which led me to write a book uh, which came out in 2014, proposing how... Uh, government should be reformed uh in terms of the system
1: uh and then led me to ray and here we are and here we are well i I, i'm going to ask a why question if that's okay and and uh i i'm curious about how and why you came together and how you came to write this book together who wants to take a stab at that first maybe i hope you agree on the answer to this one
0: (laughs) Uh, well that's an interesting thing so um Why? Well, um, it took me a a long while to realise that what I'd been uh, researching and uh, concerned about for most of my life was actually a question of governance. And I mean, governance is a classic cybernetic uh, concept because it involves how you enact uh, feedback. And most of my research and uh, activity had always been in the relationship between uh, humans and uh, the environment, whether it was in water or river management or in uh, in agriculture or in rural development, these sorts of areas. And um, so I, I began... Uh, I had a moment in uh, China where I um, uh, had been going for a number of years because I wanted to experience what the Chinese system of governance was like in comparison to um, the ones I'd experienced in Australia or, or Britain. And... Uh, started to put together some conceptual models, which I tested out with some colleagues in in a hotel room in China. And it was uh, quite soon after that that I um, encountered Ed's uh, first book and uh, met Ed at a uh, presentation of the Systems and Cybernetics in Organizations group in the UK. And we hit it off and decided that we had a project in common. So that was the start of it.
1: Does that does that does that fit for you, Ed? Is that is that how you see the story? Yeah, absolutely. And okay. it
2: was uh, there's a guy called Benjamin Taylor actually, who's he's one of these guys that, that that sort of promotes good. Well, he's got his own business, but he promotes good ideas. And and he got me involved, I think, in Skyo. And then yeah, and then and then there's Ray, and and Ray said, well, you know, why don't you come and be part of the Open University? Um, which was, in the sense, as a consultant, um, you're you're forever wanting to get deeper into things mm-hmm. and to spend more time. You know, three month project, six month project, one year project, and but but then it moves on. So the opportunity to become a a, a sort of semi academic, I think, is how I regard myself. Um, with Ray, was great. The Open University as a as a platform with, you know, it's become even more important now with it, with its distance learning, remote learning, uh, was very interesting. And um, yeah, we proceeded from there. And then it was, um, I must admit, I was a bit reluctant to get involved in writing another book, um, because writing a book is the sort of route to madness, as far as I'm concerned. And yeah. Um, But, but yeah, we, we sort of kicked it, kicked it around and kicked it off and, uh, yeah, then we got going.
1: Well, it's an incredible collaboration. Um, I, you know, enjoyed the book so much myself and, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot I want to unpack throughout this conversation. We'll kind of jump right into it. Um, but first I want to mention that I was, I was pretty intrigued by the, the, the title and just kind of, um, you know, my first reaction to the hidden power of systems thinking, um, you know, made me, made me kind of think, you know, I, you know, I want to go into, uh, something in particular a little while as I sort of put myself into that, which category of student would I be, you know, the chapter I'm talking about, um, you know, I, I'm a relative newcomer to systems and and cybernetics. So I have a lot of those aha moments that you, that you do talk about in the book. And so, you know, my, the, some of the conclusions that, that I've come to having read the book and, uh, you know, ha- having looked for a lot of you know, applications and uh, I'm trying to get involved in a lot of things right now where, um, I, you know, I, I think I could maybe make a difference with, with some of these things. I, I, I look at kind of the intent behind the book and, um, and, and really how, how systems um, uh, and cybernetics can show up in a lot of really interesting ways. Um, a, a colleague of mine used the word smuggle recently in a conversation talking about, uh, you know, something else, but nevertheless, how can we, how can we smuggle some of these concepts in to a place that might not be all that open to some of these concepts? And, um, you know, that was something that kind of, I didn't, I don't think I saw the word smuggle anywhere in your book, but it sort of felt like that was maybe one of the, the, the characteristics that, that I could you know, take from it and, and sort of how you're describing some of this, how can it, how can we, um, you know, almost infiltrate some of our governance models or, or systems, or, you know, in my case, private sector where, where I work with some of these concepts to make improvements and, 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 and make a difference. This particular book is focused on the Anthropocene and, um, you both have a, a lot to say about the relationship between, um, uh, the, um, you know, I, I hesitate to use the word the environment, because, you know, I, I think that, as you described, kind of puts us on the outside of something kind of looking in, whereas uh, when we look at it as from a systemic perspective, um, from a cybernetic perspective, the role that we all uh, kind of play um, in, in the system is very much um, uh, important in, in what you're describing here. I want to just quote something from the book. Economic, political, governmental, and technological systems have escaped our control, have transcended our capacity to act responsibly in our relationship with the biosphere. And, you know, you talk about some of the systemic effects of this. Um, And Rhea, I kind of want you to go into this a a little bit, because at the beginning of the book, um, when you talk about action and inaction and this notion of, of system that, you know, you use the word shrug, maybe, maybe we shrug it off and we, oh, it's the system. It's the system's fault. Um, you know, when I'd love you to just kind of describe that, um, that thinking and just kind of the, where we are coming from most of us in terms of how we think about ourselves as either part of a system or not part of the system or, and, and, and kind of unhealthy sort of ways that we've, we've, we've approached things as a result.
0: Okay, Okay. well, there's a huge amount in there, Kevin. It could take the whole talk, and so I want to give Ed uh, his fair share as well. Uh, Firstly, the Anthropocene, you say the book is about the Anthropocene. Well, the Anthropocene is a framing choice. I mean, it's a term that's being used more extensively, but it essentially means that we humans are now a force of nature and we've um, uh, created havoc uh, in relation to the biosphere and ultimately we have to take responsibility for what we're doing. And so it encompasses everything from biodiversity, conservation, uh, water uh, uh, loss and uh, degradation and uh, climate change and all those sorts of issues. And you're absolutely right. I don't want to fall into the trap about talking about the environment Mm -hmm. because one of the key concepts to do with the word system is that a system is something that's distinguished by someone. And when one distinguishes a system... Uh, one has to create a boundary and in the process of creating a boundary between what is system and what is not system then you create a relational dynamic between a a system and its environment as distinguished by a boundary judgment and at the core of our uh, of the book is how you recapture this systemic sensibility about thinking in relational terms rather than in static objects and so uh, one of the if you like, uh, the hidden powers of systems thinking is is to uh, be able to recapture one's uh, human systemic sensibility. Uh, and an argument of the book is that we humans have uh, largely lost that, in part because we've uh, failed to really appreciate uh, who we are and how we operate and function. Uh, and there are a set of arguments that could be made about uh, about that. Uh In terms of the title of the book, well, Ed and I bandied this around with others for quite a long period of time. And um, you could say that um, for someone like yourself who has uh, had certain experiences and has come to the realisation that systems thinking has got something to it, well, then you're predisposed to pick up our book and engage with it. But if you've never heard of it like your in-laws, then it requires an introduction. You've mediated the introduction with your in-laws And they may now pick it up, but many people just see it and it doesn't speak to them at all. So the question of what speaks to people in a title of a book or in a particular narrative is a really critical issue, uh, particularly when it comes to uh, systems thinking. Uh, You could say, given what's transpired in 2021, that um, something to do with systemic failure uh, in the title might have been uh, more appropriate because the... Uh, 2020 uh, 2020 has been full of systemic failure. And I guess one of the arguments of the book or conceptual ideas in the book that a systemic failure can only happen when you've got a system to fail in the first place. And many of the things that we talk about having failed or the system aren't actually systems. They're not organised for social purposes and they're not uh, properly conceptualised and functional.
1: Got it. Yeah. And, you know, we're, we're recording this, um, you know, the, the day after, like, you know, a very clear example of, of systemic failure. Um, we're after a roaring start in 2021. Um, so, Ed, you know, early in the book, you, you bring a lot of your experience to examples. And, uh, you, you know, you guys talk about some of the governance models being irredeemably flawed. And you've seen it. You've you've been around, uh, you know, governments. And in, in your first description, when you're introducing yourself, um, you definitely laid that out. So, you know, in terms of just this challenge of you know being able to address the problems, what's really the problem with with the the governance models that that uh, we've seen so far? Yeah. Uh, uh, well, again, many
2: and varied. The the, the difficulty with what. Uh, what we're all talking about today is is that it is unseen uh, and I've been using the term the invisible hand you, you remember uh, Adam Smith used this term in relation to the market you know there's this thing going on which actually is doing all sorts of good stuff and governance as Ray says is another invisible hand but but getting people to understand that is damned hard work as we've discussed. One of the reasons is that the way in which uh, politics is cast and practiced. So we have this notion that uh, every few years we elect a new group of people uh, and they go off uh, and they do their thing. And if we like them, we reelect them. And if we don't like them, then, then we don't. Um, which is which is sort of OK. But what's happened in the meantime is, for example, uh, the power of corporates has uh, risen, um, which which is not to attack corporates. I mean, they've just become more and more significant and obviously bigger and bigger and more and more complex in an ever more complex world. And this thing of preferential lobbying has uh, become pervasive. Preferential lobbying, essentially where... Um, Typically, a big company gets its policy uh, passed and enacted and put into a regulation or whatever by government, and you, I, and everyone else are just not at the table. So so the governmental process has got sucked more and more into these exclusive and excluding corridors. This wasn't deliberate, but it's what's happened, and, and it's now put a ring fence around them. Mm-hmm. Politicians then uh, are under pressure to get things done. Um, uh, they are supposed to come out with policies um, which uh, are then going to, you know, it's like consumerism. I'll, I'll buy that policy, I'll buy this policy, and so on. There's a fundamental flaw in all of this, uh, which is every policy is a political experiment in practice. So, okay. Um, Well, we've seen that in spades with with COVID, but, you know, from housing to a regulation on sharks fin landing to a new law about schooling or a new structure about schooling, that the whole neoliberal economic system is actually a political experiment. Now, that doesn't fit with uh, me as a politician, if you like, trying to sell you a variety of policies because actually I've got nothing to sell. I've just got a a series of experiments. As soon as you get into uh, the politicians with this stuff, you then come up against a blockage because they can see that uh, with, with with a functioning system, their remit, their role, and particularly their power, becomes much more limited because politics is about making choices where we don't know uh, answers. We, we have very little information. If you apply something systemically, that, then it, it is an experiment, but an evolving experiment to get to some action. So you, you find in some respects that systems thinking is the alternative to politics. Yeah. Uh, and so they're not terribly keen on it.
1: Yeah, that um, statement um, in the book, "Unintended Consequences Are an Emergent Property of Contemporary Governance," that came to mind as you were as you were talking. Yeah, you know that the, the model just doesn't lend itself well to productive, positive outcomes.
2: Yeah, I mean, you just look at the ramshackle political processes that have that have sort of swung into action. Some some are better, some are worse as you go around the around the world. But you look at those ramshackle political processes and you think, well, yeah, they're just about sort of muddled through the whole COVID thing. But as the climate change, uh, biodiversity, pollution, et cetera, et cetera, uh, uh, situation heats up, the chances of those ramshackle political processes coping with all of that, Um, and indeed, as we know, they're already light years behind. The chances of them being able to cope with that are very remote.
0: Just to pick up on what uh, Ed was saying as well, I mean, one of the arguments we make in the book is that the uh, contemporary governance systems uh, have been developed on the back of historical understandings and institutions, and most of them precede, as Ed said, the the rise of big... uh, uh, Multinational corporations that are more powerful than uh, nation states. Mm-hmm. Um, it uh, arises before the we became aware of how ubiquitous technology is, and how uh, the technosphere has arisen, and how, which means that we humans have deposited almost as much technological biomass on the uh, biosphere as we have uh, 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 biological biomass produced mm-hmm. by the Earth itself, and. Yeah. Um, we uh, have not had the biosphere as central to our uh, concerns. It's been an externality, and in fact, uh, neoliberal neoclassical economics treats the environment as an externality uh, and uh, fails to see Homo sapiens as a sort of uh, relational uh, being in relationship with other uh, other humans, other species, and the biosphere itself.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, we are. Uh, rely on these outmoded institutional arrangements, which include things like three-year political cycles or um, uh, the theatre we've just been through in the US uh, Congress, et cetera, as, as rules uh, for uh, arbitrating social purpose. Yeah. And there's a big distinction between politics, which is about maintaining power, and uh, uh, the pursuit of social purpose.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ray, I'd like you to keep going on, on this one because, um, you know, this, you talked about sort of the, 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 where the biosphere fits in the, in the model. And one of the things I, I loved was, you know, the governance diamond uh, heuristic um, and um, what you bring um, in, in your chapter called what is missing from governance models. Um, can you talk about that? You know, the, you, you bring three new elements uh, to the conversation I wanted to tell you, I actually took a picture of this um, in the in the book and, and used it in a Zoom session I was doing with an organization I'm, I'm, I've recently become uh, involved with, because it just helped me talk to the challenges and what we're trying to uh, achieve. So with, with, without further ado, you know, please talk about, you know, that, that model.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, perhaps I can just um, uh, riff off uh, Ed's concept of the invisible hand, because in a way, this is and this features partly how the book's been received and uh, reacted to, because um, most uh, people I encounter, despite the very good material in the book, um, fail to really be able to to think clearly about governance as a system. I mean, they have problems with governance in the first instance and then they have the idea of governance as a system. And, And our heuristic is really quite a simple one that allows you to think in broad systemic terms about governance. And it has uh, the central elements, the state uh, and its different manifestations, uh, uh, the private sector and its different uh, forms, civil society and um, the law. And floating around in between all of those is the media, uh, which uh, sometimes is closer to the state as in China, sometimes closer to the... uh, Private sector is in Rupert Murdoch or, in some cases, uh, closer to civil society. Uh, now, that particular s- constellation of elements and their different components is what constitutes the historical governance system. Uh, but these were this was invented and enacted before we became aware of the Anthropocene and thus made the biosphere a central concern to how we think about governance and the technosphere as the uh, second element, and third, how we uh, uh, consider uh, social purpose in the face of uh, unfolding uncertainty and complexity. I mean, let's face it, we really don't know how to deal with the pandemic, nor, even more worrying, do we know how to deal with human-induced climate change. So we're learning our way into a future, and politics as it's enacted is incapable of learning its way into a complex and uncertain future. So we've got to build new institutions of social purpose. And that those three new elements are the ingredients we argue that are missing from contemporary governance systems.
1: Yeah, I, I really like the discussion on each of those areas um, in the book. Uh, you, you bring out, you know we talked about before, this idea of, of the environment being kind of this separate thing you know we we, we talk about that's it's, it's uh you know outside we're outside looking in you 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 actually use that term as a it's a it's a framing failure um and and suggest there's other other ways we need to uh, be thinking about it and
2: yeah. and i mean if to, to if i could jump in there to uh, in pursuit with ray the the biosphere at the center of every governance model um, well, Ray uh, pr- produced that heuristic. And initially, I was trying to work out, well, how the hell does that work? But if if you step back and, and you say, well, look, um, what's most important to humankind? Well, you know, A, the planet and the life support system that that represents. We've been uh, chucking stuff into it and polluting it and ripping stuff out of it for years and years. And the problem—it's a bit like a boomerang, you know. You know, you toss this thing out, and then it takes a long time, and then it comes back and hits you in the face. Well, the biosphere—you know—you can encapsulate it. As the biosphere has finally hit us back in the face, and, and the only thing is, it's going to be hitting us back in the face harder and harder. And, and that crucial point that you cannot mess with the biosphere, which is what we've been doing, it's far, far stronger than us. Um, humans overvalue our agency at their peril. And, mm-hmm. and if you put its bang into the middle of constitutions and you then say, okay, we're now going to run the economics, the taxation, government, and everything else, with that as the absolute imperative and indeed as the absolute limit, then I think, uh, well, I, I don't think I know, then we can start to shift our trajectory, uh, to the ap- yeah. which is heading to the apocalypse, yeah, yeah.
1: I, 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 yeah, I love that it just seems like such a simple, you know, way to approach it. I don't know why it's, it's taken us, well, and and I don't think mo- most people think of it that way. I mean, it's, it's, it shouldn't be revolutionary, but it's kind of a revolutionary idea. Um, crazy. Um, and, you know, I think that it, you point out, you know, one of our big problems is that we go after problems just kind of one at a time in isolation. And, and perhaps what you're suggesting, if we did that, we, we wouldn't, we couldn't if, if it were at the center of the picture.
2: Yeah, it's this sort of discipline that we, we need. And it's not just the corporates and all the rest of it. It's us as individuals. It's a sort of collective uh, uh, decision. that we'll, And it's not even a decision, actually, because if we don't do it, then the biosphere will just sort of smack us into extinction. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a sort of collective uh, decision that we all make nationally and globally that this is the way we're going to have to live.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I think that kind of brings us to the, the next part of the book, which is really about what we do about this. And, um, so th- this, this next part of the book, um, which is all about systems thinking in practice, and you give us this nice little acronym step, which makes it like so easy to talk about it. Um, and, um, your department is a step, right. Right. Yeah. Um, so easy, um, and and you you actually make the the claim, and in fact, it's the title of a chapter that stip is not hard. So everything you just said would would tell me that um, it sounds like it's probably pretty hard. But Ed, you know, you you have a bunch of stuff in this chapter where you know you draw on some of your experiences, and you yeah, you're still saying stip is not hard. So can you can you talk about that a little bit? Well,
2: yeah, I mean, if if you and I've learned a huge amount from Ray. Uh, I mean, coming from, if you like, a, a very much more applied background. So so there's a fantastic amount to learn in there. But but actually, uh, you know, none of it as such, once you get your head around it, is like this sort of massive leap where I'm now going to have to understand the general theory of relativity. And the the point that struck me so hard, the example I gave of uh, the medical practice in Froome can't get uh, enough doctors and nurses what are we going to do well can we rather than increasing supply of medical services um, can we reduce demand and the point there was that the people who started on that program which was the the, the lead uh, doctor and the lead uh, practice manager had not been trained in systems thinking but they thought systemically. So they're looking around, they're thinking outside the box to use that phrase. They're they're looking at a wide angle. They're looking at the patient as a whole. And they are thinking, well, if we can get some of these patients who frankly come into us for for just a social chat, because they don't have much for a social life, if we can get them a bit of a social life, maybe they'll come in less. So they set up these community connectors, they set up a website, they find in a town of 28,000 people, 450 community groups, um, you know, knitting, train spotting, bird watching, you you know, any possible interest. Um, And they start connecting some of these people who are regular um, frequenters of the surgery with those groups. Um, They start coming to the surgeries less. But then a a friend of mine was very much involved from the other end, from the hospital end, where they're getting all these acute admissions. He did bring a lot of uh, systems thinking experience and practice, and the two connected together. And then what they found is because they started getting people with, uh, like, you know, diabetes or overweight or whatever it was, connected with these groups, not only were they uh, coming into the uh, doctor's less, the acute emergency admissions went down. Um, so this is uh, an area of Somerset in the west west, uh, country, uh, west of England, uh, where uh, co- uh, demand for hospital admissions has reduced by 20%, saving an enormous amount of money. In the rest of the county, it's going up. So from that came this notion of compassionate communities which again is is not, you know, I won't describe it now, but if you go into it in some detail, it's not terribly complicated. It's a matter of thinking out of the box and thinking in the round. And there you are. We've got a systemic solution. There are a couple of other factors probably to push in there. One is uh, decentralization and, if you like, localism, that those people fortunately had the power to get on and do this. And where they didn't have the power, they just ignored uh, the central government department. Um, the uh, other point is that they also had sufficient resources, although they didn't need a lot. They had sufficient resources to do this. But but if you're going to solve many of these problems, <laughs> then you have to... Uh, decentralized you have to trust local people and actually local people have an awful lot of capability uh and you uh, can then apply some of the tools and techniques if you want
1: yeah so you're right it doesn't it doesn't sound hard like these sound like really basic things they sound like intuitive things and you know you you use the the term intuitive systems thinking or silent is thinking maybe that's kind of what you're referring to um and when I used the you know that the, the term um smuggle earlier it, it, it was sort of like well I mean the, the common sense or just kind of like approaching these in sort of a, a way that I don't know our grandparents whatever i it, it it's, it's to sure. me like when I think about like solving some of um the issues that we're that we're dealing with um it's it and that's why I think a lot of the you know the, the the grassroots or the you know the you know the, the words that are thrown around and and become um they you know they can kind of become meaningless because yeah. we, we, whether it's mindfulness or you know holistic or or, or whatever but you know it, finding the language to um that will resonate and and that Will give people, you know, the the in to to start making some of the changes, or you know, that, that you described. Um, I yeah, think and, and,
2: and being allowed to, because I think over the years, another thing that's happened with politics. So if you go back, there was a potato famine in Ireland in 1854, I think it was, and at that time, uh, Westminster, the, the the UK government had control of Ireland as well. There was a bit of a debate in the, the uh, assembly in, in the parliament about this. And, and then everyone said, yeah, fine, let them get on with it. So, you know, then for something as disastrous as a famine, government did nothing. Um, these days, we expect government to sort of solve every problem. And, and at the same time, you often have uh, people who are highly centrali- uh, centralizing, in, in which is partly to do with their own needs for power, who are highly centralizing in central government. So they're sucking all the power up. And we're saying, yeah, government, you know, go on and solve everything. Well, we need to break through that and, and sort of get some uh, power back Uh, and be allowed, but at the same time, then don't expect government to be a solution to everything.
0: Can I just pick up on a few points that you made, uh, Kevin, and just um, uh, perhaps smuggle and the idea of common sense and uh, perhaps reflecting on what's been happening with COVID in its um, governance over the last year. I mean, it strikes me that... um, Common sense can be a dangerous notion if common sense is, or the pervasive common sense is that you have to look after the economy and you come, mm. you fall into the trap of thinking the economy and the biology of a virus operate in the same domain and in the same dynamics. Yeah, yeah. And the whole world more, my
1: world view versus, yeah, I, I, okay. The
0: whole uh, world has fallen into this particular trap and yeah. it's remarkable how rules get instituted, uh, even here in Australia, where a a, a diplomat or a, a Qantas pilot doesn't have to go through quarantine because somehow they're exempt. As if the bio- the virus uh, yeah. knows that these people are exempt. These these are just uh, ludicrous sort of notions which we yeah. perpetuate in our thinking, and it's partly why the uh, one of the chapters in the next section talks about the need to deframe our current sense, you know, and so we have to recreate a new common sense, which is what uh, systemic thinking is. Uh, And um, uh, smuggle is, uh, I mean, how we do this, we need to do this by whichever means we can, and smuggling is certainly one way to do it, and I encourage smuggling. But (laughs) historically, systems thinking by many... uh, We've been educating systems thinkers at the Open University for 50 years. This is our 50th anniversary this year, and um, many of our uh, students have uh, used systems thinking in what you know what they call a silent practice mode. They go back to their organisation or their company, and they find if they start talking about systems ideas, they get ostracised, or they find mm-hmm. that the people get angry, or other things of this nature. So. Yeah. The context is not conducive to them being open about it, and, and that means it gets hidden. And if it gets hidden, then there becomes no demand for it. So this is a this is a vicious circle and a trap. Yeah. So uh, yeah. smuggling is good as long as you then announce the arrival of the smuggler and what is smuggled in great yeah. uh, banner headlines.
1: Yeah, I I love that, and you know I'm I'm learning so much from you gentlemen. Um, I just I have to tell you how much I appreciate that. Um, and so, you know, as you're talking, I, I sort of feel like, yeah, just what you said about common sense. Uh, I I I I feel like I want to um, uh, come back to something I read that was so impactful to, for me, which was uh, this phrase: enabling all f- forms of purposeful human action. And what does that take? That takes systemic sensibility plus systems literacy plus step and that like i feel like i should get a tattoo of that or something because that you know that really kind of overrides you know and is is kind of that new common sense i think that am i interpreting that right
0: yes absolutely yeah. no and yeah. i mean i guess the argument we uh, that uh, we make is that we humans are uh evolutionary we're equipped to be um have a systemic sensibility and i think if i go back to my own origins in agriculture when we grew up uh, in uh, rural areas and connected to changing climates and changing food supplies and other types of things, we we were much more attuned to the cycles and the, the systemic sort of uh, unfolding of uh, things, although even then we were predisposed to invent um, uh, religions and other things which disturbed our systemic sensibilities perhaps. But... Um, uh, but some systemic, some religions are also systemic in their conceptions. So, yeah. uh, recovery of our systemic sensibility, I think, is important. But it, and we use uh, in my work and and the, and in the book, there's two two notions of being systemic and being systematic. Uh, right. And the the dominant paradigm of the world we live in today is how you do something systematically, as if you can somehow. Uh, cause something to happen by doing it. And the world, again, has fallen into the systematic trap because it believes that in inventing a uh, vaccine, it's got a magic bullet that is somehow going to save us all. But the virus responds to its environment systemically and it is going to evolve, it's going to change, or alternatively we humans are not going to be able to get the logistics functional to make the vaccinating process uh, effective and so many countries are over promising and underachieving in terms of delivery of vaccines already because they fail to have mm-hmm. a systemic capability yeah. a systems thinking and practice capability yeah,
1: yeah I, I totally i'm totally with you and and i want to say at this point um to listeners who have not read one of your previous books ray um there are a lot of pictures (laughs) and the pictures are fantastic. So if you don't understand the difference between systemic and systematic, just from listening to this, there's some pictures that actually kind of explain that really well in the book. Um, I actually want to say the book is very accessible. Um, So when you, in, in chapter six, when you start talking about investing in systems thinking practice capability and what you lay out there, whether it's uh, systemic, systematic duality in how you kind of explain that, you know, using sense and sensibility as a, as a comparison, um, or, you know, as you talk about your own students and, and what you tend to see, uh, from the students who are studying systems thinking and the reactions that they have, um, I, 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 you know, they're all, you describe the reactions that any reader I think would have in, in, learning about um, systems thinking and what it means and how to understand it, how to apply it to uh, these these kinds of scenarios. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Just, you know, you you have a lot in this, in this chapter. It's like, you know, right in the middle of the book and it's really kind of the heart of the book. It, it provides so much uh, insight and uh, ideas for what to do with this stuff.
0: Ah, well, there's so much here, Kevin, and we, we may run out of time. Uh, and it's good. I, th- I think we want to need to get on to some of the the governance reforms and, and, and constitutions. But uh, I've just been replying to some of our students or thinking about some of our students studying one of our modules at the Open University today. And uh, a, a way of shortcutting what is in that chapter would be to say that Whenever we're concerned about complexity and uncertainty, we need to start with the situation. The sit- we, we as humans, are always situated in our world, and our living is an unfolding of our uh, embodied situatedness. And how we then choose to think about our situation, how we choose to frame it, is a choice we have, and we can we can make choices about uh, those framing conditions, and we need to be uh, sufficiently aware or what I call reflexive about how uh, language and how historical concepts frame the world for us and we need to be able to question whether those historical framings are still adequate and the argument of the book is that many of them are not. So just to summarise, always start with the situation, how we engage with the situation, how we understand, how we think about a situation And then it makes real sense to think about a situation as if it were a system or to think about a system that you want to understand or to develop or to design or to make or to destroy in a a means to change the situation you're in. So the challenge, of course, is to change our situation and that involves then thinking about that systemically. If you change the situation in a simple cause and effect way, you get unintended consequences, but occasionally it's necessary and needed and valuable. But if you, so you need to start off systemically about wanting to change situations in that way.
1: Yeah, anything you'd want to add to that before we kind of jump into that, like what it's going to take to reinvent the governance systems and some of the ideas you've got there?
2: No, I'd I'd be inclined with the time to uh, jump into uh, the the government systems. Um, I mean, I I think uh, sort of linking that, unless you're about to have an introduction to that, Kevin, um, but the the feedback uh, point, which we all know is I mean, you can't operate a system without feedback. You know, if you if you don't if you're flying a plane and you don't know where you are, then the chances are you're not going to get to where you're going. Um, and that is the case with so much of what governments do. So, you know, pass laws, pass regulations, have policies, have programs, projects, and all the rest of it. But actually, are they working? Where have they got to? Yeah, what has happened? Now, you know, imagine running Adobe uh, without any of that feedback information or Toyota or whatever. Well, essentially, that's how governments work. And, and, you know, then the politicians sort of the best you might get is to rhetorically massage some statistics to prove, of course, that we're doing a good job now. You, so you have to have feedback in the system, and it has to be cybernetic feedback. In other words, when you get the feedback, there is something occurs to correct, to adjust your course. Um, and whilst there are national audit offices and uh, offices of statistics and business and so on and so forth, which do sometimes operate properly independent of government, uh, uh, For the mass of what governments do, uh, there is no systematic feedback. I mean, if something is absolutely awful, you might get a press campaign five or 10 years after the event. And of course, if it's really awful, then you get a riot, you know, as, as a process of feedback. This is not very clever. So, the number one thing that has to change, which which, which forces us all to deal in reality and, and indeed forces the politicians to deal in reality, it forces the politicians to go, well, we did that systematically, but actually it didn't work, so maybe we're going to have to do it rather more cleverly, uh, is the notion of um, having an institution Uh, as a mechanism for bringing together um, uh, the many forms of feedback there are about what's going on. So for me, that's the number one. Now, how do you get that? Well, we have these constitutions... Um, With three separations of powers, you know, these are the things that go back 200 years. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we're still trying to run the technology, the modern technology of governments with 200-year-old technology. You know, would you be happy to go into a hospital now and apply the techniques of 200 years ago? No. Uh, Well, you know, that's what we're doing in government. So if we're going to bring these things up to date, we have to have a fourth separation of powers, um, which which is the, the, the feedback uh, uh, section. And, and that has to be taken outside politics because if it's in politics, it'll just get fixed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it has to be done by, say, the second chamber, but the second chamber elected in a way that keeps it ring-fenced from politics, uh, and then that information has to be public and comprehensive, and then you can start to move the system away from where it is now.
1: So you know, it reminds me of, of you know when you were talking earlier about these cycles, these political cycles, and, and over here in uh, in in both the U.S. and Canada, you know, we're, we're obviously models I'm I'm very familiar with. Uh, you know what we can actually accomplish, what a party can accomplish, or c- completely wipe out in a in a four year period of time, um, does not kind of allow us to kind of tackle the kinds of problems that you're you're describing. So when when you suggest a, a governance model that's sort of sitting outside of politics it would kind of allow us you know in this in this context of feedback actually to to get real feedback to to have you know be able to see change in a, over the the a kind of time frame that one would would need in order to actually see whether change is having the kind of impact that you want yeah no exactly and if you think
2: about i mean going back to you know these structural de- determinants of what we get out of these systems these the electoral cycles of three or four years um and then you you know we we, we tend to get right the flip flop the zigzag of government yeah. because you know these days actually most of them aren't achieving very little i mean years ago politics did did play quite a significant part and quite a significant role but these days uh it it you know the differences between these parties in practice not not what they mouth on the platforms in practice is actually very little you then say to yourself well actually politics is an accumulator you know it's not that right we have you know whatever label suits you government and therefore all is going to be well well you know some some better things or less worse things may happen for three or four years then the other lot got Mm -hmm. in and then you know it's a huge waste of resources whilst we do u-turns and so on politics is an accumulator well the sorry i should say governance is an accumulator and 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 the political process such that it's needed is a subset of governance so we 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 have to create institutions that are able to go well beyond any of these cycles
1: yeah yeah you know this this Go ahead,
0: Greg. Well, if I can just pick up on that, um, I mean, I've been reflecting on what's happened in the States in the last few days and, of course, what's happened in the last four years in the in the US. But, I mean, it's not uh, alone in the US. But if um, I, I would contend on the arguments of our book that unless the um, new uh, government in the US, the Biden administration, initiates uh, what we call in our book uh, a systemic inquiry... Uh, a, a collaborative, deliberative institu- institution of uh, select, carefully selected people to, to hold and conduct an ongoing constitutional inquiry uh, into how the US should be governed into the future, into the Anthropocene, into this uncertain and complex future, uh, out of which from time to time there will appear modified constitutions. I'd call it a constitutional Hmm. deliberative um, commission or something of that nature, but it's a commission in perpetuity. It's not as if we can stop and start anymore because uh, we know that the concept in a climate change world, the concept of stationarity is dead. Things are going to constantly change and so we need to be constantly learning and modifying and adapting how we go into the future. And the a uh, four-year or three-year zigzag crab-like uh, governance uh, model that we've got at the moment is incapable of dealing with this. And we need to get a um, uh, an effective uh, creative tension between civil uh, institutions occupied by people with expertise and with civil uh, sense uh, along with uh, rep- uh, elected members of uh, of the body politic. Yeah,
1: yeah. And it's hard to accomplish when, you know, first day after the inauguration is actually the first day of campaigning for 2024. Um, So it makes it hard to uh, get that work, you know, in place. Yeah, Yeah. it's
0: even worse when you've got a three year election cycle as we have here in Australia.
2: Right, right. (laughs) And then you look at political party funding and the way that, and, and candidate funding, the way that skews politics, decision-making, and actually uh, is a major contributor to mass inequality. So you need to, you know, serious controls on political party funding, um, which actually uh, the US did, uh, the Congress did institute, but then the Supreme Court uh, overturned uh, because the Supreme Court had been packed uh, with more Republican-leaning judges um, and then you step back from that and you go, oh, a politicized judiciary, um, uh, that's actually, you, you know, even 200 years ago, they understood that that was a really bad thing. So in the States, you've got a politicized judiciary. Um, it, 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 that needs to stop and so on. And, and, and there, are, there are a whole series of things um, that we list alongside a number of other principles in terms of running the co- uh, running the economy, um, which, which again, on the one hand, you, you you might say, well, well, these are you know what what a change is that, but but I mean if you look at each of the twenty six systemic principles for governing mm-hmm. we've got there, it it none of these are actually if you like rocket science, none of these are otherworldly, and and to um emphasise a point that Ray has made so many times. All of the systems of governing that we have are merely human inventions. They can be deconstructed, reconstructed and reinvented. The, these these parliaments, these congresses, these uh, second houses, these institutions, these rules, they're just all something that's come out of our minds. They're, they're not, you know air,
1: water, earth, fire. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I wish we had another hour to to go on and uh unpack so much of 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 what you guys have touched on here. Um but we don't. So what what I'd I'd love to do is take the last couple of minutes to hear from you um on, you know, what I think is a very uplifting and kind of positive message at the very end of the book. Um, when, um, you talk about what's next and I loved this section on will and, um, you know, just, you know, how we leverage that, that will, because I, I think you're, you're making the presumption that the will lives. It's, it's, it's there among, you know, a lot of people who, who, who just, who want to fix this world and, and, um, and, and make sure that there's a future for you know their grandchildren and great grandchildren and so on um but you talk about collective acts and individual acts and working acts and 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 really what i saw there is just kind of that's where the hidden power of of systems thinking can emerge um so i, I know you probably both have 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 some thoughts on that that you could just kind of bring us home with uh your 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 parting thoughts
0: and to you ed for start off
1: okay um so the will. I
2: mean, this is from Schopenhauer, the philosopher, and you know, and, and it is again, it's a pretty obvious thing. But we're all we're all sitting around. I'm um, huge variety of people. Many of us, you know, am, am, am I uh, uh, suffering? You know, am I starving? Am I well? Actually, I'm pretty fat and happy. Um, uh, I'm pretty unhappy about the state of the world, but you know, personally, I'm, now, you know, am I going to do something about the world? Uh, because, you know, if if I don't and, and a lot of other people don't, then the world will carry on to its uh, state of destruction. The, the, and, and, and it's trying to sort of prod myself and then prod others to say, look, and people will say oh it's all too difficult or yeah you know i'm inclined denying is is the extreme of that because obviously you can't deny it but it's it's a way of sort of shutting it out or or ignoring it or avoiding it and it's a, a challenge then to us all that actually yeah if we have the will um, we will be talking to our neighbours, we will be discussing, well, this book and hopefully many others with our friends and in the pub or the bars or the clubs, will be uh, creating the politics which demands change and which then says we need political parties, that which as Ray said earlier on, are going to indre- address these major issues of the systems of governing. Um but, but it, it's, it's, it's sort of one of those strange things because all it takes is for enough of us to go, right, this is what I'm going to do and it will happen. But then a lot of people will go, oh, well, you know, it's that they're not doing it, so I'm not going to bother. Well, you know, the message is we, we need to, uh, well, get off our asses, pull our fingers out, or whichever particular phrase it is that's applicable and um uh but a lot of that energy can be channeled locally so so you know we're doing things here you know just the, the the local food stuff um and uh the way in which we travel um trying to uh organize some of the uses of land and better use of soil just here you know not worldwide um and and Building another one of Ray's key, key concepts is enthusiasm. Um, we'll do stuff that we're enthusiastic. You know, what are you going to do today? Or, or maybe your day is finished, but what are you going to do today? And unless you've got something absolutely pressing, we'll do where your enthusiasm is. Um, and I think building enthusiasm for this uh, this task um uh and 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 uh having that determination having that will then we can bring about this change
0: mm-hmm. so if i can just sort of uh riff off um ed there and uh yeah. thanks for introducing the uh, enthusiasm uh idea ed um uh kevin you mentioned reading the book and a visit from your in-laws and um if I can just sort of uh, reflect on what that dynamic might or how it might be understood, uh, you had some enthusiasm for what was in the book. You introduced your in-laws to it uh, and in your enthusiasm you, uh, and engagement with your in-laws, You talking about something serious that mattered to you, you engage with the, uh, your in-laws as legitimate others. The idea of engaging with others as legitimate others is what Umberto Maturana refers to as uh, the functioning of the biology of love,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and um, it seems to me that will uh, built on enthusiasm uh, can be uh, can be problematic. I mean, you could say that the hordes that uh, invaded the capital in the in Washington yesterday were enthusiasts many of the people who supported Hitler were enthusiasts. But in their pursuit of enthusiasm, they didn't treat others as legitimate others. So they denied the basis <clears> of what I think it is to be human, which is to live in in love and reciprocity, not only with other people, but with other species and with the biosphere itself. So it's mm. about how those relational dynamics become manifest in our living. And the word enthusiasm comes from uh, the Greek entheos, meaning uh, the God within, God with a small g. And so I would argue that the, uh, the God within is actually our systemic sensibility. How do we get in touch with our systemic sensibility such that we realise our relational interdependence with others in, in all types of others? And it's out of that realisation, that living, that manifestation that the will uh, arises.
1: Oh, yeah. Thank you so much for that. What a great way to conclude this conversation. I really appreciate your words and, and your words too, Ed. Um, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today, tonight, in the morning, whatever, wherever we are, um, about the hidden power of systems thinking governance in a climate emergency. This has been a great conversation. I've enjoyed it so much. I've learned so much. It's an important book. I encourage listeners to read it and engage in the work that you're describing. This is Kevin Lindsay. You've been listening to my conversation with Ray Eisen and Ed Straw on the New Books Network, um, the Systems and Cybernetics Podcast channel. Thanks for tuning in, and uh, we'll talk to you soon.